Welcome all you fellow Arcanists out there to the Frith Guild Podcast, where we explore an amazing world full of mystical creatures and their partners. Our hosts are Eric Smith and Scott Wareham, and they'll be your guides along this journey through pirate-infested waters. So grab your Eldrin, strap on your swords, and get ready to defend the seas from evil. Throughout the series, if you're not caught up to the chapters being discussed today, we urge you to hit the pause button, grab your copy of this wonderful book, and catch up. We'll be here when you get back. With borrowed sylph magic putting wind in their sails, Master Zelfery makes good time reaching Tower Isle, home to the city of Port Crown and its rock Arcanus, gargantuan birds with wings the size of sailing ships. Then, armed with white heart magic, Zelfry and Volk must pass a room full of pirates up to the second floor of the Gold Grotto and rescue Ilya. Meanwhile, she's busy trying to assassinate the dread pirate Callisto when he's awake, armed, and surrounded by the most powerful of his crew. But before we get into the book, let's look at two more pieces of advice from the series. Step 9 on the Pillar of Ruma says loyalty. Without it, we cannot know true friendship. And step 11 says conviction. Without it, virtues are just words. Now, let's get into chapter 16 through 20 of Dread Pirate Arcanist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Frith Guild podcast, where we're going over Dread Pirate Arcanist. I'm your host, Eric. And I'm the co-host, Scott. And today we're going to be going over uh, Dread Pirate Arcanist chapters 16 through 20. So strap on your swords and let's get started. So we're getting into Port Crown. And this is after Zelfry made his grand entrance and happened to show up on the ship with them. And Volk has to put his foot down with Zelfry and tell him, like, look, we're going to go find Ilya. Uh, so we enter into Port Crown and it's, it's described as very ominous. Uh, it's surrounded by jagged mountains. It's got haunted beaches and a creepy wall of gray and white. And this place just all around does not sound like a fun place to be. It feels very piratey. When a pirate isle, it fits the bill. Right. You couldn't have made this better. Like, I feel like it's almost like Pirates of the Caribbean level pirate island. It definitely has that feel to it. All right. And then we can find mystical creatures. Pretty much any mystical creature part you want to find. And they they keep circling back to Phoenix Hearts. And poor Addie with this one. She, she seems very bothered. And you just get the feeling that she's picturing the loss of her Eldrin there with, with the Phoenix heart getting taken. So no real insight into why they're so important, but you can imagine based on some of the imbuing and magical properties that it could be very powerful. Right, especially for fire. That's their core gives them fire. So uh, Delegis is aware of the Port Crown and it's uh, illicit and illegal, potentially parts of magical creatures because his father has actually gotten things from this place before. And this is one of those, they don't know whether it was legally obtained or not. It, this is black market of mystical creature parts. And it doesn't sound like his father really cares. He's more in for science for the sake of science, which is slightly concerning. But Adele just seems to be much more on the moral side of it. Right. And at least at least it does feel like that has that morality with him rather than his father of just being like, I don't care. I want to find whatever piece I need to to research and to, to prove my scientific theory or whatever. So Volk wants to write all the injustice in the world and realizes that Port Crown is, is, is really one of those places you can't take back. Fortunately, it's just not going to happen. The Queen and the Navy, her Navy, is not going to try to take this back, mainly because they're this is home to all the pirates. 
there are three rocks and and that's roc not rock like a, like a boulder rock they're standing guard and these are just essentially massive birds that can control the elements of the wind and storms and that kind of thing so they are in all essence of guardians of this port and they're they're eldrian of the arcanists that run port crown so if they don't see somebody that or they see somebody that isn't supposed to be there then they're just going to take out the whole ship to to keep that one person out and they're massive so they can and it, it's very cool because volk is is very scared if he's going to be picked out and Adele just reads the thoughts of them which is super cool and just describes that they're really on the lookout for very specific people so they're not concerned with some of the minor things that Volk may have been involved with. They're on the lookout for something bigger that could be the Queen or the Navy trying to come through. And, and I like how they described it with the ship going into port. They took all their flags down from their mast when they when they arrived there just to reduce the you know potential for getting in trouble. And, and they basically said nobody can fly under a flag when they're going into the port. So next we as we get into the port itself we actually see the Third Abyss it's described as a man of war class ship. It is 200 feet long, has 124 cannons, four decks, four masts, and it can accommodate up to a thousand people. So that's a huge ship. And this one is special in particular because it's built out of ghost wood and it actually emits a really dense fog when it, when, whether it's be growing or has been cut down. And they talk a little bit that Callisto has some way of actually seeing through the fog. So it's almost a second level of defense for the ship where the ship can see through the fog and is prepared to ambush or defend itself and has an advantage over really anyone that's trying to counter them. Could you imagine being on the seas and then this giant fog, fog bank comes up behind you and it's a ship, but you can't see it. You can't do anything against it. You know where it is. Yes, and especially with the reputation, it's known for its wall of fog, so bad things are coming once once it hops up on the horizon. So we also find out this is not Zalfri's first time in Port Crown, and he actually splits up the teams, splits Addy and Adele just together, and he tells them to go to a room, or a certain hotel, and they actually work with the Frith Guild, and tells them to use the, the code phrase that uh, they want a room that smells good. And he, he actually roughs him up a little bit before he goes. He gives... Addy his coat and smears a little dirt on him just so that they blend in a little more. He doesn't want them standing out in any way that he can avoid it. Adele just, despite Helfrey's best wishes, keeps pushing this this market. So there's there's something there that he wants to check out. So he he's very interested in what goes on in the market. And, and again, it gets you wonder: like, does Adele just really have things he wants to find in this market that are not necessarily on the up and up, or is he just? curious more so than anything so Zelfri and Volk are going to go look for Ilya in hopes of finding them and convincing her to leave before she meets with Callisto and this is kind of where we move into chapter 17 where we meet the Dread Pirate Callisto and uh, Zelfri is actually able to utilize the white heart magic that he found somewhere within Crown and makes them almost impossible to hear he muffles their, their sounds as far as their clothing, their footsteps, everything. So they're they're going full on stealth archer mode and you know, I'm sorry, not Skyrim. Uh, 
So they're going full full stealth. And Zelfry can you know, we, we get a little bit more understanding of what his ability with magic is. And he he explains uh basically all of all of his magic, you know, to to answer how it works is if if you question how Mimic Arcanist knows how to utilize magic, it's because he can sense magic. Um uh, what we get from it, uh as far as reading goes as, as to this point. It's one of those things that's just so unique to the mimic that it's hard to explain something. You can explain how fire feels because people have felt it before, but nobody else has a sense of what magic really feels like. So it's very tough to explain, you know, oh, I can feel these things, what that actually feels like to me. It's so unique. Right. And I, I wonder because uh, even Dan, uh, our editor, made made a comment to me about this was, I wonder back in the first book in our Negmar Canis when Zelfry moves the crate and has Ilya move the crate later. Did he practice that? Does he have to practice that before he can do it with the ability? Or is he just because he's a master arcanus, he can as far as mimics go, he can just do the magic without trying. One other thing I want to make mention of real quick is Paul definitely is not comfortable with uh White Hearts. <laughs> they whether or not in uh utilizing their abilities or or just any kind of association with white arts and i can understand that he has a bad history with them so he's he's willing to participate but it's it's more because there's no other option and zelfry's forcing him into he's definitely not happy about leveraging their magic so volk and zelfry are, are going on their stealth mission and volk has to hold on to zelfry basically in order to keep him visible and this is just felt the very Harry Potter invisibility cloak where you got to make sure everyone's under the cloak. You got to make sure you're holding on to them. They seem to be able to navigate through a bar without running into anyone, which I think for two people to do that is quite a feat in itself. And, you know, it's like almost possible not to run into somebody or something while you're in here. They're in the Golden Grotto. And... Zelfry can also sense that there's a Wendigo Arcanist in there, so that's probably Wraith or Bane. And then he can also sense that Ilya is there. She can actually kind of, she's upstairs, and he can also feel Callisto. So Zelfry and Volk get upstairs to where Ilya is. And this, this scene just feels very, you know, boss, godfather-esque, where, you know, Callisto's in the back. He got to go walk past the separate bouncer just to go see him. Um, and the bouncer in this case happens to be a, a grifter crow arcanist, which they pretty much decide is described as being a sleight of hand magician. So very low on the, the totem pole with with powers. Yeah, I feel like they're the yeah you know, me. I'm so cool and awesome because I'm an arcanist, but you know, other arcanists they're probably like, eh, just a grifter crow, like hey, it's no big deal. Real power there. It's a party trick, right? So they get up there and they see Ilya, but there's not enough time to leave when three more people show up. There's a, a Kappa Arcanist, a Snallygaster Arcanist, and there's Callisto. Just a quick description for the Kappa. Uh, they're a humanoid-like fish. Uh, their, their trial of worth is kind of able yeah, well, to attempt because they have to offer their firstborn child in order to bond with one. So you can understand why not a lot of people want to bond with that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough trade. 
And that, that's Dallagaster is half lizard, half bird, uh, flies on crooked wings, and requires part of the Arcanus to be offered for the trial of worth. And just so happens the Arcanus that has the Snallygaster uh, on his forehead is actually missing half his leg. So probably understand where that was too. Right. And then we finally meet uh, Dread Pirate Callisto. And we get a really good description of him. He's described as being as young as 25. Uh, we, we know that he's well over a century old. And he's got copper auburn hair. He wears an ankle-length tailored coat with crimson lion mane, stitched into the collar. He's got a dull black shirt on, carries pistols on his belt and knives in his boots. He's got various bracelets on his wrist, and his Arcanus mark glows similar to Guildmaster Eventides, and it does extend, you know, back uh, on his head, down his shoulder, neck. And this is just the perfect description of a pirate. The long coat, the weapons, the jewelry. He is is a picture image of, of a dread pirate. Oh yeah, he's definitely cool. Yeah, like even even though he's a pirate and everything, like this dude is cool. So he's, he oozes confidence. <laughs> exactly. Callisto and Ilya start their meeting and Callisto really just wants to ensure that there's one specific page in this book that is Actually, this still there, and it is of a compass, and yeah, kind of to, to monologue herself about why she was there. You know, she kind of with him, and that he killed her parents, and he took her eye. It takes close to a second, but he actually remembers that Billy is the one that escaped from his ship, and even says that he recognizes handiwork. Yeah, you know, scars taken from her, and then. Iliad makes her, her move. She goes to throw the venom at Callisto. And Callisto, being a manticore arcanist, he's able to pull up his dagger to keep it from hitting him. And when I was reading this, I'm like, man, that's it. Like, gonna be done. Like, she's not gonna, you know, make it. And then she teleports the venom to the other side of the dagger. Like, that's faded this. So she teleports the venom to the other side of the dagger and hits him square in the face with this. And you're just like, yes! She got him. She's going to die now. And then he just wipes it off his face and licks it. And he's like, hmm, King Basilisk Venom. That's a, that's a choice there. He's he's a little impressed with it. He's not the first to try it, but he definitely wasn't expecting something you know, powerful and potent as, as King Basilisk to come from her. Yeah, and yet it's like, oh, I'm just going to lick this Venom off my face. Like, it's like, how the hell is he? How is he still alive? You know, this is where we had that new class of Gilly that, you know, kind of explained some things because Callisto pulls out a unicorn horn, you know, imbued so that he can resist and is protected from all poisons. And you you have to imagine he's got the artifact, which is protecting him from poison. He has all the jewelry on his wrists as well. You have to imagine that there's a few other trinkets there that are helping him in some way, protecting him from some sort of harm. So he's fully prepared. He's a century old and he's learned all the tricks in the book and he's protected from them as as best he can be. Exactly. Like like you can't kill the guy. Alright, so Bane actually ends up you know popping behind Ilya and steals back the journal. So, you know, they've got the journal again. Like what the heck? And this is when Callista starts to go after Ilya and um 
goes into chapter 18 with the occult fist. And Callisto actually stabs Ilya. Like, just lightning quick because of his abilities. Yeah, basically told Volk, hey, you gotta be quiet. You gotta do what I say when I say it. Do not go off the course of what I'm doing. This is where can't blame Volk whatsoever because you know, just got stabbed by Callisto. You know, just stole the journal back. Volk has enough and he lets go of Zelfri and merges with Luther. Thankfully, Ilya was just able to, you know, deuce out with the, the momentary attraction of Volk and Luther. And this feels like she actually did plan for this. She's <laughs> really concerned about her plan and she actually pulled it off. She was able to get away without it working. So, you know, props to her for that one. She teleported away. <laughs> that was her plan. She teleported away. She did it. <laughs> so Zelfry is actually really upset with Volk because, again, Zelfry didn't tell Volk to move, didn't tell him to do anything, but Volk did it anyways. And this is a strong bad string for Zelfry of people just not listening to directions. So, you know, just as I imagine furious with every time Volk decides not to listen, you know, the plan, not not paying attention to some of those surroundings. Right. Like we just once listen to Zelfry. Like I'm saying the guy's got a horrible plan, you know, but she's trying to just keep them safe. That's all he cares about. He just wants them safe. Volk manages to get the journal back and he, he, it's fairly impressive actually with just how he, you know, was able to grab it with the shadows and then immediately shadow step with Zelfry to get out of danger. And, and again, this is kind of like Zelfry, does he borrow the magic and then, you know, with it so he can do it better. So that way when he does practice with his apprentices he's able to use it better especially with these uncommon ones like nightmares or rizzles or the you know, ethereal whelk he definitely has experience so it's either him practicing or he's just gone on enough adventures with enough of the world to know his way around yeah and like I said i'm not saying he, you know, he's awesome but I imagine he does a little he, he's got to practice a little bit so Hulk and Ilya now have bounties on their heads Literally. And they're not in a very friendly place. Great. Of course, Zelfry, you know, he gives his apprentices one instruction. Very easy, very clear. Stay in the hotel room. What does Adele just do? He leaves. He goes to the market. The boy is obsessed. Whatever's in the markets, he's after it. So, Zelfry's gonna now, does he have to, you know, all of his apprentices? Now he's gotta find another one. You know, Ilya's like on her own, you know, you know, way. And he knows that Callisto is hunting Ilya and he's got her set with the blood. So now Zelfry's got to do the same thing, transform into, you know, has traces transformed into a manicure so that he can hunt Ilya so that he can get there ahead of time. And one kind of interesting thing that Volk points out is that. Even when Zelfry goes to a Manicor Arcanist, his mark does not glow the way Callisto's does. So, you know, some hinting, foreshadowing that there's something going on that causes the marks to glow, and that's not even something that Zelfry can mimic. Yeah, going in that. So, thankfully, uh, Volk does have a good indication as to where where to look for first before uh, Callisto can get her scent or track her down. But Callisto was after the journal as well. You know, maybe Callisto wouldn't have just gone after her. But because Volk stole the journal back, 
Um, now he's adamant about making sure to get that journal so he can get the entry about the occult compass. And it, this journal is by Livia Bright. And it's an artifact that was made from an eye from an all-seeing phoenix. And it's, it's very rare. It says that there are only three made and that two were known to have been destroyed. So there's one left um, there with, with a sunken ship. And the cartographer had listed how uh, to get to the endless havoc, which is sunken. And find out that this compass is specifically used for finding mystical creatures by using mystical creature parts. So they're looking for a rizzle. They would use the hair of a rizzle to find and the compass would point them in the direction of rizzle, the closest rizzle. If they're trying to find a nightmare, you know, use a, a blade of a nightmare and it would point them to the closest nightmare and so on and so forth. Just as they're literally seconds away from getting out of the city walls and the Snallygaster sets off the alarm. And this breaks off into to chapter 19, the Ghost Woods, uh, where alarms been set, they continue to run through the woods, and Zelfry's again using the blood scent, just like Callista likely is, to be able to to track Ilya. They end up getting attacked by these wisp bugs, which are described as being able to eat your eyes and brain out, as well as any other you know, soft tissue. So Addie does them all what she assumes to be a favor and lights them on fire. So full Phoenix at work there goes in and lights them up. But then Zelfry comes up and immediately scolds her for doing this because it gave away their position. Look, I don't know about you. I'd rather be alive with my brains and my soft tissue than giving my position away. Seems like a fair <laughs> trade to me. I get where Zelfry's coming from, and he probably had some other way, but when all you've got is fire, you know, burn him to death. Yep. <laughs> Zelfry actually stops. He knows Callisto is coming. Um, he seems to have a little better idea of how to be able to handle Callisto. So he tells Addie, Volk, and Adele just to keep going. They're running through the woods, and they end up essentially all falling down a hill, tripping over roots. And Volk remembers some advice that they're giving him that shadows can't fall. So instead of landing on his face, he uses it and shadow steps into it, ends up coming out unhurt. If you're one of the clumsiest persons in the world and you're a nightmare arcane, you will never fall again in your life. You know, shadow step. Oh, you fall up, oh, shadow step. It's totally a much. superpower all on its own. It right? really is. <laughs> Um, so Volk comes out and, and he's uninjured, but unfortunately, Adele just his side is hurt. Uh, and this reminds us that, you know, hey, we saw him without his shirt off kind of a few chapters back and his side was looking rough. So you can only imagine that it's, it's that same side and that there's something going on there that's really bothering you. Um, then we kind of out that Addie can't actually use her Phoenix magic to heal. So okay. she... I imagine this is one of those moments of like, well, you're telling me that you could produce fire, but that's it. You can't do anything else. You've got to be shitting me right now. One thing we need. So he's left on their own and Addie's embarrassed just because she's knows this is something she should be able to do. She knows Axis can do it and they, you know, canist at the same time. So she's embarrassed at the lack of, you know, help that she can provide. 
and they end up noticing Ilya's blood marks. They're spaced out pretty far, so, you know, it's telling that she was going and teleporting in small little bursts to try and get away. She's still leaving a trail, so they're able to get to her, but she is, you know, earlier the message was always, you know, learn to think with your magic, and she's really taken that to heart, and knowing she can teleport quicker than she can run. And then the Alligaster shows up and attacks them with what seems to be an intestine snare. It kind of coughs up this mess and, and shoots it out. And, you know, Volk and, and Addy are both getting pulled into it. And Volk ends up using his tears to free himself and then reaches into the shadows to grab his sword. This is kind of the opportunity where him and Addy team up. You know, he's she's prepared for the tears. He uses them. The Snallygaster lets go for a moment, and then Addie's able to use her fire to blast at the Snallygaster. I feel like at this point, you know, everybody's kind of that, like, I'm tired of getting hit with your terrors, too. Like, friendly fire. Yes, he has no no range with them. They're just firing everywhere. It's all over the place. Fortunately, the first blast is blocked. The Snallygaster is able to use its wings to block it, but... You know, once they combine and kind of time everything up correctly, they're able to scare off the Snallygaster, injure it enough so that it ends up fleeing away. They they come to a clearing and they find Zaxus, Ilya, and Hexa, and Volk is excited. He finally gets to meet up with them. He's, you know, ready to help take care of Ilya. And Hexa and Zaxus step up and just start scolding him. I feel like that's kind of a bit uncalled for unwarranted because it's not like anything i say wrong you know yeah he didn't agree immediately to go with them on this adventure and, you know talking previously agree with volk's decision of not wanting to go this was not a well-planned out attempt <laughs> yeah i'm pretty lucky right this this is one of those they've just managed by pure luck and nothing else like that the fact that Ilya can teleport you know that worked out for her. That uh, the only part of the plan that worked out according to plan. Callisto's still out there. They're being hunted. It's a bad situation overall, and Volk is only trying to help at this point. Exactly. And we move on into to kind of chapter twenty, which is the water cave, and this really gets into you know Zax is being upset because their plan was, hey, Ilya's going to teleport. There's no way for Callisto to track them. And, you know, now he's going to be able to because Volk led them over. Dell just points out that he's a Manicor Arcanist, so he can actually track by the scent of blood. So really, they were screwed either way, no matter what happened. And Zaxus gives his best line of so far, whatever. I feel, I feel he's a, I mean, he, he's a teenager, so the he's reality, you know, he's on the, the high school drama here. And like with Callisto being a manicure and you know the tracker blood, no matter what was said, like Volt could have not been there, Zelvery could have not been there, Addy Adele just wouldn't have mattered. Callisto would still have been able to track their her blood just because she got stabbed. So like, yeah, in this way, the frustration in the moment, but yeah, it's I understand the frustration, but at least they know they're getting tracked this way. Before they would have been all you know, taking their sweet time, assuming that they're off free when Callisto is hard on their tails. 
and as they're in their mini discussion, there's a bunch of frost that forms over the area. And if this were Pokemon, a a while Wendigo would have appeared. So Volk stays behind to fight, and Adele just stays to help and kind of explains that his magic is really the opposite, where Volk's is to hide, his magic is to reveal. So he can help actually reveal where the Wendigo is when it's invisible. I actually really liked this when I read it. It was like, oh my gosh. Like, having Adele just being that kind of, you know, yin and yang kind of between Volk and Adele, just to be able to reveal the Wendigo and, and be able to see them, you know, they're trying to use their inv- invisibility. That That's really quite awesome. And it's that, like, we have some kind of advantage. It's not the advantage I would have thought. I really thought that one of the Phoenix Arcanists would have stayed. You know, ice, maybe fire would help. Maybe you can melt the ice. It seemed like there might be some, something going on there that might help them a little more. Um, Volk is swinging widely with his sword, trying to hit a target and missing. And Adele just uses his light magic, which breaks up the invisibility. Uh, but unfortunately, it also gives the group away, as we soon know, because Zelfry is able to find them based on that. They end up, you know, able to chase off the Wendigo, so they're free. They come back to the group, and Lilia is teleporting everyone to an underground cave where they have an escape boat. Folk is very impressed by her powers and how strong they are that she's able to teleport people to this you know, location that they had hidden away. Hey, remember, for away, that is the plan. <laughs> she I... figured out her power. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I actually love that they have this underground cave and that she's able to teleport people by just touching them. And I actually like, you know what? This is where I give them a lot of kudos. They have just flown off the gun and apparently they used the eight days to get to Fort Crown. They used it wisely and, and actually did a little bit more planning than just we're going to teleport away. And I'm curious how they found the cave. It seems like they might have spent some time roaming around, but it definitely pays off for them. They go to the cave, and Nicolin is actually waiting for them in the cave. Folk asks him why, and he explains that Rizzles are essentially lures for magic hunting. So if he were out there, everybody would be on a lookout for him. And they're packing up the boat to go sail away, and Adele just is concerned, a little worried, very nervous. And we kind of get more Zaxxas making fun of him for being a coward. Kind of an unfortunate look for Adelgis. I, you know, he's great. I really want to root for him. So it's rough that he's getting, you know, bullied by Mr. Whatever. Well, and I understand Adelgis too, because he doesn't have a, a physical attack like, you know, fire. He doesn't, doesn't have shadows to be able to manipulate. He's got a light beam that he can shoot at somebody, but... I feel like he's, as far as offensive magic goes, he's really doesn't have any. So I can understand why Del just to be a little bit nervous on that. But, you know, this is probably something that Del just wasn't 100% expecting when he joined the Frith Guild either. No, he was definitely looking to do some research. So <laughs> he's getting more than his fair share of adventure. And as they're getting into the ship, Addy and Volk have a very cute little moment where their legs touch. And it's so, so teenager, so perfect. Oh my gosh, they legs touched. Physical contact. Well, but then then there's, you know, Zaxxas, Ilya, and Hexa that are basically doing the same thing on the other side that 
they're all squeezed in together as well. And, you know, I'm sure Zaxxis is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm touching you know, Elliot. <laughs> we went on this crazy adventure and I got to, you know, we got to touch each other for a little bit and we were so close together. Yes, they are living their high life right now. <laughs> and as they get into Sail Away, Adele just, again, being obsessed with the market, brings up the market again and wants to talk about what he saw there. Uh, pretty quickly cuts him off because nobody has been listening to him and he just wants to get away. So Adele just is again, but backing off of his market. I feel like at this point, Zelfreach is like, I don't care what anybody has to say. Just shut up so I can have some quiet. And so that way, at least somebody can listen to me for once. Yes, for one <laughs> moment. Can somebody please listen? All right. And that ends our five chapters for this week. And we'll get into our bestiary here. So the rock, as we mentioned, is the giant bird. Um, it's the size of sailing ships. It actually originates from Middle Eastern mythology. Trial of Worth, again, unknown. So for some of these, you know, we do see the Eldrin, but we don't quite know, you know, what the bonding ceremony is like. Production through progeny, so two little rocks coming together. Um, they're able to very weather-dependent magic. So they evoke icy winds. Their manipulation is on the wind. And they actually augment sharpness. So they've really helped with seeing, similar to how Volk can see in the dark, they help just see things at a greater distance, which, as you can imagine, being on a ship or, you know, sailing, that's a huge benefit. The innate abilities that they provide, one is additional sharp eyesight, and they are also man-eaters, so they are immune to blood diseases. All right, and next we have the Kappa. Uh, the mythology it comes from Japan. These are considered as humanoid uh, fish with webbed hands and feet. They have very gangly limbs. They have glow-in-the-dark eyes. Again, their trial of worth is a mother must sacrifice her firstborn child. So if I guess if you don't really particularly care for your child, then this is your perfect elder for you. These are considered elder that don't particularly want to bond. Their reproduction is progeny again. So mom of Kappa and uh, dad of Kappa. They are able to evocate acid. They're able to manipulate water and they are able to augment their eyesight to be able to see through murky waters and they have innate abilities of being immune to blood disease so again man-eater eldrin they are able to breathe underwater and they're able to tell the age of children by smelling them this is one of the few abilities where i don't actually know where that would be useful right like <laughs> carnival i guess i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> you'll never win a prize Right. <laughs> and then last up, we have the Snallygaster, which comes from German mythology. It's actually supposed to be found in rural Maryland. So if you're in the Maryland area, go find your Loch Ness monster. Um, <laughs> and, and it's described as being a mutated dragon, which is a, a mix of bird and lizard. A trial of worth, as we saw with the Arcanist with Callisto, is they must actually cut off a piece of themselves and then feed it to the Snallygaster. So really rough. There's not too much known about them in terms of, you know, evocation, manipulation, augmentation, pretty unknown. We do know that they can spit up these intestine snares, but it's not really described in too much detail what that actually looks like or how they actually, you know, are able to augment their 
Arcanist powers. All right. You know what I thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Google Podcasts, iTunes, pretty much anywhere podcasts are being played. Uh, if you want to join in on the conversation, please head over to Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Frith Bill Podcast. Uh, we are going to be, we are on YouTube now. So any episode that you listen to basically from now on out is going to be both um, on in podcast and it's going to be on YouTube as well to be able to you know, see Scott and I talk. And again, we also want to thank the Frith Chronicles fandom for the information that we do get from them. And we use the crap out of it with especially the bestiary sections here. And we're looking at the uh, depths of the pillar for our guidance. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are at frithgillpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a Facebook message or comment on the Facebook page itself. And uh, Scott and Dan are also pod admins, however you want to call up. So they're also on there as well to be able to communicate with everything. So Scott, you got anything else to add? No, we appreciate y'all listening in and stay tuned for the next one. Thank you so much.